This is always controversial. Nineteen. Acts nineteen. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Now, have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. Now I'm going to stop there. Uh, This passage of scripture has been used by the Anabaptists for many years as a scripture text to prove what they call, the other people called, rebaptism. But now they've reinterpreted this against the Anabaptist. The first one to do that that we know of was uh, John Calvin. And I want to say this. Our doctrine is Calvinistic. But we are not Followers of John Calvin. I'm not a fan of John Calvin. Now, he hated the Anabaptist. Now, those other groups, the groups, the Paulicians, Albigenses, Waldenses, they were all called Anabaptists because they all practiced what they called Anabaptism. They didn't accept unscriptural baptism. They baptized all that came to them if they hadn't been scripturally baptized, just like we do. They were not called Anabaptists as a denomination. Anybody says that was a denominational name, they don't know what they're talking about. It was not a denominational name. I don't know, there's some people that have named themselves Anabaptists. They did that in ignorance, they had to. Because Anabaptist is not a denominational name. It is a practice. All right. But I'm going to try to expound this passage. Here's what they do, if you can understand this. When Paul asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now, believe it or not, there's a lot of Baptist preachers to say that Paul is asking those people if they're saved. If Paul did that, 
Paul is unsound theologically. Nobody that's saved has not been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Paul said in Corinthians, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In order to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got to have the Holy Spirit in you, having done a work of grace. Quickened you, enlivened you, given unto you repentance and faith. So, I deny that the Apostle Paul was asking these people if they were saved. And I don't understand a Baptist preacher not understanding that. Well, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? What kind of question is that? It's a legitimate question. He's asking them if they have scriptural baptism. Because if they had had scriptural baptism, they would have known something about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. In order to understand this passage, you've got to understand Acts 2. Let's go back there. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind that filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And as Peter preached, He said, this is what you heard, Joel, verse 16. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is in fulfillment of the Lord's prophecy, of Joel's prophecy. And this is the baptism in the Holy Spirit coming on the church. That's what this is. This is not the founding of the church. The church is already founded. It is the empowering and the filling of the Holy Spirit in the church, enabling them to do worldwide missions. Now, these were all Jews here. Plainly says, Jews from every nation. Uh, Let's see. Verse 8 and verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia in Egypt and the parts of Libya about Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, all different languages. When they're speaking in tongues, they're speaking languages that they had not learned. That was to enable them to preach the gospel, not to brag about the gifts of the Spirit. But those gifts of the Spirit were to prove that the Holy Spirit had come on the church 
in answer to the prophecy or in fulfillment of the prophecies that have been, been leveled. Now, when Paul asked these disciples, and he does name them disciples, he didn't say they were false disciples. He asked them, have you had any evidence of the Holy Spirit since you believed? Which would indicate that they had been scripturally baptized. They hadn't. They hadn't heard anything about it. They did say they'd been baptized with John's baptism. But that's what they said. That's what they had been told, but it wasn't true. If they had had John's baptism, they would have had scriptural baptism. Uh, one thing, when Paul passed through the upper coast uh, and came to Ephesus, this was somewhere about... 58 A.D. We're in that first century. It could have been 56, but it's 56, 57, 58. Somewhere in that time frame. That's when Paul was up here. In his second missionary journey. Alright. When was John the Baptist baptizing? About 30 A.D. So it looks like we're from 25 to 28 years after John the Baptist had his head cut off. So they had not come in contact with John the Baptist. And beside all that, they're at Ephesus, somewhere there about. John the Baptist was at Bethabara outside of Jerusalem, which is approximately 600 miles away. Now, if you're going to go 600 miles by foot, you got a trip ahead of you. <clears throat> I don't know. Uh... Maybe the panhandle of Florida. Is that about 600 miles? That's something close to that, isn't it? Must be somewhere as close to that. How would you all like to set out on foot to go to Florida that way? Anybody? Got any takers? Don't have any takers. That Eustace, that mountain man, him and his brother... Got on a horseback on the east coast of Georgia and rode all the way to the west coast of California on horseback. I don't know how many months it took them, but it took them a while to do it. And I bet this saddle so over time they got there. Uh, so you're talking about a long ways by foot or by donkey or by raft. However you could travel. That would be one of the, some of the only ways you, you could travel by raft or a boat or travel by donkey or a horse or by foot. That's the only way you had to go. I don't even have stagecoaches. That's a long ways by stagecoach. Anyway, 
So as far as these people ever having come in contact with John the Baptist, that's out of the question. They did not. Way too late and way too far. You might want to write that down, notes in your Bible there. Anyway, look real quick at 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Now this spiritual gifts, that's what these folks in Acts, that they did display after they were scripturally baptized. But here Paul talks to the church at Corinth about them. And he says, you know that you were Gentiles, heathen, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. That's where they were. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a cursing. Anybody says something like that, they're not doing that by the Spirit of God. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now that's Paul that wrote that. Believe you me, Paul was a sound theologian. And he was not asking these these believers if they had received the Holy Ghost after they got saved. That's a totally uh, unscriptural, un theologically heretical, wrong way to go. Uh, I had a Baptist preacher ask me to review his paper. He wrote a paper on this, older man. He's dead now. He asked me to review his paper, and he wrote on this, and that's exactly what he said. Paul was asking about the salvation. I gave it back to him. He said, did, did you review it? I said, I sure did. He said, well, what'd you think? I said, well, it's all right as long as it's right. But when it's wrong, it's wrong. What do you mean? I said, the whole thing. I mean, the, your whole premise is wrong. He wasn't asking them about their salvation. And he got mad at me and never spoke to me again. Anyway, and I didn't lose any sleep over it. But he asked me to give him my opinion on it, and I did. And I don't think I gave him opinion. I told him the truth about it. Anyway, he said unto them, Now I've got highlighted the word disciples, and then I got the word them. Highlighted with the same color. Them is the disciples. And he says, have you all. I got that and highlighted. That's the same bunch. Received the Holy Ghost since you all, same bunch, believed. And they, same bunch, said unto him, we, same bunch, have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And Paul said unto them, same bunch, unto what them were you all, same bunch, baptized. And they, the same bunch, said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized 
with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Now, verse 5. When they, same bunch, heard this they, same bunch, were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, same bunch, the Holy Ghost came on them, same bunch, and they, same bunch, spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men, same bunch, were about 12. I think that's very important to expounding this passage. You got to understand. Now, here's what John Calvin and there's others that have picked that up. One of our teachers, Election of Baptist College, he picked that up. I argued with him. Uh, I didn't accept it. Here's how they try to just destroy this scripture and wipe out the testimony of the Anabaptist. Now read, read with me. Paul said to them, have you received the Holy Ghost? They said, we've not so much as heard. In verse 3, he, that's Paul, said unto them, unto the, what then were ye baptized? They said, unto John's baptism. That's what they thought. Now, how did they get that? If you look back at chapter 18, you find out that there's a Priscilla and uh, uh, Aquila. Acts 18, verses 2, 1, 2, they found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, uh, with his wife, Priscilla. Uh, and then it says, they were tent makers, and Paul stayed with them. And then we we find that this fellow Apollos, uh, let me find him here. Verse 24, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, that's in Egypt. An eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. He may have come by boat. Probably did. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. He knew about it. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, when, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, ah, Priscilla and Aquila knew some truth that he didn't know. They knew Paul. They took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. He knew some things, but he didn't know everything he needed to know. And so Paul uh, had instructed Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila instructed Apollos. So where did these people get their baptism? No doubt from Apollos. He's not a bad man. He knew the gospel, but didn't know the way of God like he should have. Okay. So, verse 4, back in 19, Paul then said, Paul, John 
Now he's referring to John the Baptist. Now did Paul meet with John the Baptist? No. No, he was a Pharisee then. But if you remember when Paul or Saul of Tarsus was saved on the road to Damascus, what did the Lord have him do? Going to Damascus, a street called Straight, and there's a fellow there named uh, Ananias, and he's going to baptize you. Well, it doesn't say that Ananias had the authority, but I'm sure he did. Jesus told him to go. Positive. If somebody wants to argue with that, I don't want to argue with them. They're not worth arguing with. Yeah. So, where did Paul get John's baptism? He got it from Ananias in Damascus. Where did it come from? It came through the church at Jerusalem. Where did the church at Jerusalem get it? All the first members of the first Baptist church had John's baptism. All right. So now Paul is saying what John the Baptist preached. Truly, he baptized with the baptism of repentance. No difference in that than scriptural baptism. It's the same thing. Baptism unto repentance or because of repentance. Saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. Now, John Calvin says that the quotation marks. Now, if you're grammatically correcting or analyzing this, it is true that when Paul said, John, verily baptized, quote, or saying, quote, unto the people, that they should believe on him that is on Christ Jesus, unquote. Now when they, but what John Calvin tried to say is that that quotation goes on and that still stays back there with John. That's how they've done that. Now these guys, they work long and hard trying to figure out how to reinterpret the scripture. Not going to get into it now. You know, there's no justification in the whole Bible for purgatory. But do you know they come up with the scripture too about it? They bring up Luke 16. And then they do go back to the apocryphal books. I think the second or third book of the Maccabees. And twist a quote and try to make it praying for somebody in purgatory. But they work hard and long at reinterpreting the scriptures. A lot of people do that. Well, they did that with this one. And so this is the best they could come up with. So verse 5 is supposed to be back when John, 28 years before this,
when they, that is those people back then, heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. No. This is the bunch that Paul's talking to now. When they heard this, they were baptized. And when Paul, verse 6, had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Uh, the Holy Spirit came on the church on the day of Pentecost. They were all Jews. No Gentiles there. But there was extensions of the same baptism. For example, he said, you'll be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. All right. You look back at Acts 8 and you find an extension of the day of Pentecost in Samaria. You go to Acts 10 in Caesarea at the house of Cornelius and you get another extension there. Until now we're in the upper coast at Ephesus and here is the last evidence of an extension of the same baptism of the Holy Spirit. So what happens? They were baptized. Paul baptized these because they didn't have scriptural baptism. And when he had laid his hand. Now, now look back down here at verse 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Paul being the apostle to the Gentiles. And he baptized those disciples. And he laid hands on them. They began to do what? They spake with tongues and prophesied. As they did on the day of Pentecost. So this completes it. And there's never any other evidence of this. What you find is what we read in 1 Corinthians 12. When that church at Corinth, they had people that had the gifts. But they were abusing the gifts. And so Paul wrote to them and rebuked them for it. And look at Acts 13, or 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah, I was looking for 13, was right at it. <laughs> uh, Paul said, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity. Now what kind of tongue do angels speak? They speak whatever language the people they're talking to speak. And though I have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, Jesus said you could save this mountain with a must, grain of a mustard seed of, of faith, mountain be thou removed, and to be removed. And he said, and I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Those are serious, serious things there. But he says, now, charity or love suffers long 
and is kind. Charity envies not. Charity vaunts not. Itself is not puffed up and proud. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinks no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity. But rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endears all things. Charity or love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now let's look at this. Love never fails, it never ceases. Of the three gifts, faith, hope, and charity, the one that will never cease is love. When you're in heaven, you don't need faith and you don't need hope. Your faith has been realized, your hope has been realized. But love will be throughout all eternity. All right? But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. I think the Greek word is pao, stop, cease. Well, now the prophecy, brother, that you read this morning, beautiful, lovely, striking, I believe way into eternity, we'll still rejoice in that. That'll still just be as true as it ever was. That prophecy will never cease, will it? Any true prophecy from the Lord will never cease. So what will cease with reference to prophecy? The gift of prophecy. Then, tongues. Well, even when you die, you go to heaven, be with the Lord, can you still talk? Well, Abraham could. The, the martyred souls under the altar in Revelation 6, they said, How long, O Lord, holy and just, does thou not avenge our blood on them that are on the earth? They're using their tongues, are they not? Their bodies are not with them. Their spirits. It says, tongues, they shall cease. Well, if you die in the Lord, your tongue will never cease. You'll be still praising him. <laughs> well, what about those that die and go to hell? Ah, the rich man said, Send me a drop of water, for I am tormented in this flame. He's using his tongue, isn't he? There is no sense in which a human's tongue will ever cease in this life or the life that is to come. But what will cease? All the gift of tongues. And whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. If it's true knowledge, it never will. Amen. Oh. But the gift of knowledge will. And, and when will they cease? Well, we know in part, we prophesy in part, that is at that time, they didn't have the knowledge we've got. But when that which is teleo, complete, 
is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. What was in part? The gifts. They all were. You didn't get somebody teaching you the whole word of God, speaking in a tongue. You couldn't sit still that long. Somebody give a prophecy, okay? We've got them all here. That's in part. When I spoke as a child, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And these gifts will cease. When? When that which is perfect has come. Then that which is in part shall be done away with. That's not talking about death and eternity. It's talking about that which is complete. You know what we have here from Genesis to Revelation? We have the complete revelation of God. There will never be another word revealed from God until Christ is revealed from heaven. This is the complete revelation of God. Genesis to Revelation. People, I want to get something else. You're not going to get anything else. It's not what you don't have. It's what you do have. You better make use of it. So, that's what those disciples at Ephesus, or the upper coast there at Ephesus, they didn't know all that. Neither did Apollos. But they had to be straightened out on it. And Paul was straightening them out, and he did baptize them. He didn't rebaptize them. He baptized them for the first time. But you see, Calvin, the Catholics, they all hated the Anabaptists. One thing they all agreed on Martin Luther, John Calvin, and the Pope, Innocent, and all of them. One thing they all agreed on. You see, have you ever heard of the Peace of Westphalia or the Peace of the Augsburg? Well, that'd be in the 16th and 17th century. The Peace at Augsburg, that's when the Lutherans, Martin Luther's bunch, and the Catholics have been at war. And they struck up a peace. That's the peace at Augsburg. And then they both joined forces against, you guess it, the Anabaptists. And the peace at Westphalia, that was the Presbyterians. Calvin and Knox's bunch, they've been fighting the Catholics too. I mean at physical war. But that's when they struck up the peace at Westphalia. And then the Catholics and the Presbyterians, the Calvinists, they all went together, made a peace. Now let's go get them dirty Anabaptists. That's what they did. You wonder how in the world do we exist with all of that, all of those years Here's how we exist. Jesus said, 
Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's how we're here. And I believe I gave you the right interpretation of Acts 19.